Welcome once again to The Real Money Show with Guildhall Wealth Management. I'm your host, Darren Long. I also work for Guildhall as the Senior Vice President of Sales. And with me this week is Jeremy Wiseman, the Vice President of Guildhall Wealth Management. And to Jeremy, this week's show is going to be an interesting one. So we want to welcome people right away and let you know that while you're listening to this show, if you do have access to the internet, pop on over to guildhallwealth.com. I want you to know we have about... 10 or less seats left for the seminar on November 3rd coming up, and we'll tell you more about that through the show. We're going to be talking about the feeling of deja vu. We're going to be talking about what's happening in the markets that gives us that feeling of deja vu, and uh, much more about what's happening uh, with gold and silver, our favorite metals, and we're going to be on a theme this week. For our listeners, we're going to be talking about a cashless society. Good, bad, right or wrong, indifferent or not, the reasons why you have physical assets sometimes pertain to the direction or the future of what we expect in our economy. And paying attention to those things means that you're astute, you're listening because you want to know more about gold and silver, so let's get started here. Jeremy, we are going to uh, start the show by talking about the feeling of deja vu. I can't help but have this feeling as this whole week has passed by so quickly. Here we are taping the show on Thursday and that feeling of deja vu comes about not so much as a dream state or a moment that I had of a flashback in a day or anything that's more typical of deja vu. It's more so of what I'm reading. Last week on the show, we talked about subprime mortgages coming back into the fold in the U.S., The Bank of America opening up a $10 billion portfolio to support subprime mortgages. Right. They're back to lending with zero down. Right. Okay. Learned nothing the first time around when, you know, one in four houses in the U.S. became, you know, basically worth nothing because people walked away from their mortgages. Yeah. So let's do it again. They want to look like they're trying to help people who can who have now become priced out of the market by trying to do something, and yet they're going back to the same old, old thing. And... Uh, it's it's crazy. I mean, I remember last week we were also talking about Nick Clay, and he was saying that the support for debt remains largely based on asset values rather than the ability to pay. So I think when things start to turn around, and you are seeing that in the the real estate market in the states that that uh, it's it's going lower. Well, speaking of that, right? Yeah, you've yeah. got that real estate market causing that feeling of deja vu and that collision that they were on back in 2008 and 9 with that liquidity problem where people actually had to come up with banknotes not just zeros on pages and borrow some more and credit here they actually had to come up with physical money to cover the shortcomings when their house values fell it was something that's you know hugely a, a, a study of of huge proportions reasons why we would own gold and silver we could make the argument alone I, because of real estate I'm, I'm feeling a segue here to the cashless well there is the absolutely show. and i mean not only that deja vu feeling is is stock market as you just said the euphoric feeling that the stock market is going to continue to rise it's the debt levels it's everything and on the heels of this a article that comes out from wall street a great uh website which is what we love to talk about, the stories behind the headlines, the stories behind the, the topics of business, in which they discuss 
whether or not a cashless society is a good thing. Now, most people listening may have the feeling that that has been the direction overall that at least the G20 nations, if not the G8 nations, have been taking over the last couple of decades because we talk often about the fact that our fathers would carry cash in their pockets. Yeah, there's this, first of all, I mean, when we're talking about cashless society, most people don't really take cash around. It's much easier right. to tap and use your debit cards. And so in some ways, are we already in a cashless society is the question. But I think, you know, in our business, we have a lot of people that want to use cash. We have a limit of how much we can accept. But there are some people that are still using cash for for some things day to day. Um, but there have been countries around the world that have tried going cashless. I believe Sweden tried that, right? Well, Sweden happens to be one of the most cashless societies. But according to this article uh, from the Wall Street called The Backlash Against War and Cash Reaches the Bank of Canada, it is uh, certainly something that their uh, central bank and parliament are now speaking out more so against than four. They've experimented with it, and what they're finding is there's a number of risks. Now they're saying in recent months, there's been a slew of political and financial institutions that have raised concerns ahead of Canada. And that includes the ECB, which have warned that a phase out of cash could be detrimental. The People's Bank of China is now chiming in and announcing that businesses in China that are not e-commerce must resume accepting cash. So they're actually physically telling people you cannot turn off and not accept cash. You have to accept cash. You must mm. accept it. In Sweden, we just talked about what's happening. And cities too. Washington, D.C. is a perfect example in the U.S. Their city council just introduced a bill that sought to ban restaurants and retailers from not accepting cash saying that hey we can only interact only credit card only uh, other digital payment systems only no we want to here's 20 bucks i want to pay my bill i always thought that was weird that that companies don't want to accept cash but i guess it's because they just what is it they just don't want to bother actually having a float anymore because there's there's not enough people using cash in the first place well but this is different because what we're talking totally about different. are central banks essentially coming out and saying we want to have some cash we want to have some reserves um, because you never know when the system could go down. We've seen that. I mean, if you don't accept cash as a business and there's a power outage, I've seen companies that literally say we're, we're not able to do business right now. Well, they'll argue that it's a matter of convenience, speed, safety, right? In terms of carrying cash, we don't want to have hundreds and hundreds, even thousands of dollars in our pockets because that's at risk of being taken. But so are credit cards. Well, it depends so on inflation debit cards there. With taps, but and that depends right? on inflation, well, no, right? I understand. Like what you're it saying. used to be that you could carry around a couple hundred bucks, and that would probably last you for a month, right? Now, now you'd be lucky if if it lasts a, a well, week. Well, you'd be or carrying two. a couple thousand is the same equivalent, right? Yeah. In this day and age, and it's a good but point. But there's a but there's also a cost to the cashless society as well because you you know that that's the other surprising side because if you have a Visa machine, you have to pay to use that machine every single time. Same with the debit machines. Same if you decided to go crypto. I mean, you have to pay for uh, an arbiter in between to do the, the transactions for you. So cash is actually the cheapest form 
of payment method that's out there. That's right. Now, in this in this uh, article, they cite that the Bank of Canada has now sounded the alarm on a cashless society weighing pros and cons. In a paper called "Is a Cashless Society Problematic," it outlines a number of risks, and it starts by saying, in such a scenario, even though most individuals and firms freely choose to abandon cash, there could be adverse collective outcomes. The first one they bring up, anonymity. The Bank of Canada stepping in to say anonymity would decrease to zero if we went to a cashless society. So even those transactions that are meaningless in the grand scheme of things that have no threat from a, from a revenue uh, Canada standpoint or anything that we're trying to do, we're just going to pay for breakfast and we want to use 20 bucks. Well, in a cashless society, that transaction is done digitally and now we have an imprint and it's no longer anonymous. We know that Darren Long was at the breakfast place on Sunday morning and he spent $25 and they know that. So a pattern of digital information starts to emerge which basically feeds into a very big argument, a macro argument that can't be debated too much here because we don't have the time for it. But they're saying the first problem is anonymity. Interesting that a central bank would come out and say that. And I love that it's Canada that did that. And that also, I, I think for us, what, atta- what attracts us to something like this and, and an article like this is that if you can be pro-cash, you're one step away from being pro-gold. And that's why a lot of countries are buying gold right now, because it's part of their reserve asset portfolio. And when we deal with customers every day, you know, oftentimes they're coming to us and the first thing they're purchasing, Darren, is silver maples. Because if you have some cash at home, just in case, right, a few thousand dollars, then you also want to have a few, uh, perhaps a few hundred maples. Now, some people might buy 50 maples because they're divisible into one ounce increments, or they might even do a monster box, which is 500 silver maples. They come in tubes of 25. So people like having that universal recognition. People know what the, the silver maple is, and they know that, it, that that's real money. And of course, you can do that so easily at guildhallpreciousmetals.com. Okay, let's Go stop there for a second. Because yeah, if you're listening and you are thinking about adding gold or silver to your portfolio, it's only physical, folks. We don't deal in paper. So this is not a, so to speak, cashless transaction. We have the ability to give you physical precious metals. Over at guildhallwealth.com, you can do that. There is an online e-store, which makes it convenient for you to shop via mobile, at home, wherever you are. And if you see something you like price-wise, you can always follow up very quickly and get that order made. The number, if you want to call and get a free package of information or just to touch base, you can even speak with Paul, Jeremy, myself, anyone in office here, 1-866-274-9570. Or if you want to remember it a lot easier than that, one eight seven seven eight silver. That's one eight seven seven eight silver, and you can just use that number. Give us a call. We'll be able to give you a free investors kit, and we will include a ton of information on what we do as a firm for you as you go through this decision process. Now, as Jeremy said. The coins are just one area of interest that people have as buyers. There's bars there. You can have combo packages. And uh, also, I want people to know, in this day and age, if you are still incessant and insisting upon sticking with the stock market, we'll talk more about that in the second segment, but if you are because you feel strongly that it's a good place to be, 
why not hedge that bet by having some bullion in a registered account? You already have an RSP set up of some sort, an RRSP, a TFSA. Why not add a little bit of bullion to that as well? We have hundreds and hundreds of people who have come to our firm over the years that have opened up these accounts, and they're a great way to do that. And we'll give you a little thank you just for registering and getting uh, an account open and putting 5,000 US into that account we will give you one gram of gold absolutely free of charge so you can do that put it in a registered account whether it's a TFSA an RSP spousal RSPs or maybe for the kids an RESP set them up for college take care of them now while you can because when gold and silver skyrocket folks you'll be patting yourself on the back that you added and contributed while it was cheap this is the value time this is the window of opportunity and it is limited in addition to that i want you to remember we have a seminar coming up november the third this is your last uh kind of kick at the can to get in here over the last next seven days i think we're going to be full this time and there's going to be no seats left we're down to about just under 10 seats remaining so it is imperative that you call pick up that number 18778silver give us a shout or go over to guildhallwealth.com and you can register there online let us know how many seats you'll need and find out more about that presentation it's going to be november the 3rd 10 a.m. in our offices at Guildhall, right at the 404 and Highway 7. It's easy to get to for you, and we will talk about all things related to gold and silver and how it impacts you, and you can make a purchase right there while you're at the seminar. And uh, coming up, Darren, we're going to talk about an interview that was done on King World News. They said it was one of the best interviews of 2018 with Michael Oliver, who used to work very closely with the chairman of the COMEX in the 70s. So we're going to talk about his comments on the coming gold and silver bull market. All right, more on that topic and cashless societies coming up on The Real Money Show. You are listening here, and stay tuned, please, on the Global News Radio Network, 640 Toronto. Welcome again to The Real Money Show with Guildhall Wealth Management. We thank you for listening. The number to call if you are interested in adding gold and silver to your portfolio or talking about a natural fancy colored diamond investment, one eight seven seven eight silver That's one eight seven seven eight silver guildhallwealth.com. Before break, Jeremy, we were talking about the feeling of deja vu and the article that we spoke about this week was talking about the cashless society. The first problem we identified in that article was that anonymity would basically get zapped. So if we go back to uh, that article for just a moment and we were to move to a cashless society, people would no longer have anonymity in their everyday purchases. Now I'm talking about hiding things, folks. That's not what this is about. Uh, we're talking about everyday purchases, going to the store for a bag of milk, picking up a chocolate bar, you know, going to the gym and, and paying your monthly membership. Lots of people still like to pay by cash. It's just one of the things that we have that would be tracked and that anonymity would be gone. Yeah, not everybody, Problem or not, I don't know. Not everybody cares. Not, not right? everybody wants to be a complete statistic and have all of their information sold about how many times you go to to Tim Hortons to get a coffee right. to to some advertiser for Google you know right. so right. that that's kind of the reason it's can't i live my can't i live my life in peace here right why is every single thing i do have to be commoditized well what the papers I, I think that's sort of a way to look at it as opposed to privatize it's like well no not being private means i'm being commoditized all the time yeah. so you go buy a coffee at, at let's say not Tim Hortons, but let's say now we go to Timothy's and then you you go to your phone to check out what's what's going on in the gold market with Guildhall and pops up a, a, a advertisement from Timothy's. 
You're like, can't I just buy a coffee in peace? It's true. <laughs> it's, it's less control over your future, and that's something that is a huge problem. The second problem they identify in this article from Wall Street on uh, this problem of a cashless society is the fact that banks and credit card companies would have an even larger monopoly. And in essence, because there is basically just one plastic payment company controlling all of Canada and for the most part, most of North America, which we will not name on this show, we've done enough free advertising for today, but everybody knows that when you grab your plastic card in your pocket to make a payment, it's called the, and we won't say the name, that company would get way more control. There's only one company. There's no competition whatsoever. And in terms of the credit card companies, how many are there? I mean, there's lots of different payment options nowadays. Lots are streaming up, and we're getting all kinds of different things coming online. I mean, we use e-transfer. It's one of the most popular forms of payment for people to get their medals. And there is something to be said for the the ease of payments that are out there because of the lack of cash, right? So people don't have to drive from Hamilton or Barrie to come to Guildhall to, to buy their their precious metals, they can just do it quickly online. So there there are advantages, but we're not talking about going back to a cash society. We're just saying there's there's uh, negatives to being pure cashless. Yes, and this article is pointing out the, the weight of those negatives versus the positives and just suggesting that these are a number of potential systemic risks that might be uh, hurtful. So, I mean, you know, you, you've got that problem and again, Then you go back to the third and probably the largest one is the fact that there's going to be a heightened security risk. If we go to a cashless society and you have power outages or you have hacking or you have malfunctions in their software, where does that leave you as a person that needs that cash right there and then to make the purchase at Home Depot? Their system, their fit fails and and boom. You can't make a payment. Now, I'm not saying that happens yeah. on this. The, the likeliness of that happening is minimal. But if I go to a cashless society, it leaves the door open for people to say, hey, there's a country we could really tackle. You right. Know, it's it's that kind of idea. Like when you hear these things like people, people's Teslas being being uh, stolen with someone just hacking into it with an iPhone or, you know, you've seen cryptocurrencies being robbed of billions of dollars. Um, you know that in a technological world, the only thing stopping someone from hacking you is someone with a stronger computer. Um, and then with that recent information or news about China putting those small chips into things like iPhones and, and, and computers, these are probably some of the concerns that maybe the, the government is starting to be aware of, and it becomes a, a question of national security. But when it comes to cash, the fact is, I'm going to bring it round a bit, Darren. The fact is, is the government continues to build debt, they continue to print money, um, what happens when interest rates start to rise and they have higher, higher payments that have to be made, you end up like what's happening in Pakistan where they ran, are practically running out of cash reserves. They took a bailout from the Saudis this week of $3 billion against all of the the geopolitical stuff that's happening, and they're looking for another bailout from the IMF. So maybe there's a sense of having some cash, but we take it one step further to, but we don't want cash that's being inflated away and its purchasing power is being lost. We're saying having privacy with cash is great, and having some gold to protect your wealth is even better. 
Well, if you think of it from that perspective, it's exactly right. And I mean, as a listener to this show, Jeremy, there's a lot being said about uh, whether or not having physical, tangible, holding your hand assets is a smart thing. But since people are listening, obviously they're interested in finding out more. So let's give them the number. one eight seven seven eight silver is the number to call. The website is guildhallwealth.com. We want you to go there, experience this firsthand, get the ability. Um, free investment package sent to you. There's no charge to you for that. Get on the the weekly email list where we send out that one email on Fridays usually that will come to you right into your inbox and it will be customized just for you with the week's articles that we have audited personally through our office and we've selected for you. And if you want to invest, you can go to the e-store. That's one quick way to do it if you're just looking to get your feet wet. If you want to put it into a registered account, you can do that. We've also talked in past few shows now about the allocated financing, which we'll touch on in the third segment of the show. And uh, we'll talk about the concept of other people's money and how to leverage that. Uh, Jeremy, now, in keeping with this week's show, in Deja Vu in a cash society, there's a lot more happening that kind of pertains to this topic. Um, You and I were talking before the show about a number of different things, but one thing in particular you wanted to mention was uh, pretty important to this conversation. Yeah, so I think in terms of this deja vu, you are starting to see uh, writers, authors, analysts of the market come back to 2007-8 and say, did we really solve the problems? Where are we at with that? And um, where what does that mean for gold going forward with exactly you know 10 years after the after the 2008 crisis and seeing the stock market rise like crazy and real estate go up and all of these type of things um there was an incredible interview they're calling it probably their best interview of 2018 on king world news and it was with michael oliver and he worked directly with the chairman of the comex in the 1970s um and Uh, There was a point in the interview, which I'm going to quote here, where he says that Bernanke in writing said that he intended to get the stock market higher and create good sentiment. Now, he didn't get good sentiment uh, necessarily at that time uh, in terms of uh, people, um, consumers in that sense. Uh, But you take the entire price section of the S&P, he said, from 2011 at about 1,300 points up to 2015, well above 2,000. And, and he said that that entire section of skyscraper is made out of plaster and plywood, made out of central bank interest rate manipulation. So that's very interesting to note that, look, the markets went up because the central banks manipulated things. And now they're all out of whack. So he says pricing is false. And when it comes down, it's going to hurt a lot of people. The recent good economic news doesn't even matter. So if you've been getting good returns recently, understand that this is on the back of manipulation by the central banks, and the manipulation has to end, and it's got to revert. We're at the point in most markets where the movement we get in the next two years, he says, is going to be compressed. Stocks too high and commodities too low, that when they unwind, it's going to be rapid and violent, and gold will lead the way. And that's something that we've seen, Darren, speaking of deja vu, that we've seen gold and silver in doldrums before. And we get this sense that we know it can't go lower, price of production. Anytime the price comes down, people are snapping up the physical. We know that JP Morgan's bought um, more physical silver than the Hunt Brothers or Warren Buffett in 2005 or 2006 ever did. 
and that this market is ready to absolutely explode. And the fact that there's a lack of product around there to fill very large orders just tells us that we might be into a rationing situation down the road. We might be into a situation where people can't even get into physical metal. And that makes perfect sense, doesn't it? There's a billion ounces of silver above ground. JP Morgan has 100 million of it. Uh, there's 7.5 billion people on the planet. When they're all clamoring out of stocks trying to, trying to find that wealth protection, which they finally decide that is a safe haven in gold and silver – where are they going to get their metal if they haven't been doing it over the last few years? Now, over the last few years, we've seen very savvy investors. People have quietly accumulated a lot of physical precious metals, specifically in the RSP. And so those people have already found their safe high ground. The question is, is are you going to be late to the party? Are you going to wait till the price of silver is $40 an ounce to decide, oh, now I'll make the decision? Or do you do it when the price is giving you a screaming buy? So we want people to take advantage of the lower price and take pick and and take advantage of the the gains that they've made in the stock market. The stock market did come down this week again. Although this week, while we're taping the show, uh, it's it's up off the bottoms. But you know, it's it's been a pretty wild ride in that market. Listen, folks, it's both deja vu this week. Stock market euphoria is one part of it. Debt and the problem of debt and how big the debt problem has become around the world is another. And subprime, we threw it out there last week. We're back again into this notion of subprime mortgages in the U.S. It is a vicious circle of life in the economy, and it's one which you need to protect yourself. You need to have a piece of insurance in your portfolio to make certain that you can weather this storm. One way you can do that is to add physical gold and silver to your portfolio. Don't stop and uh, think about it for too long because the value window is closing. As we move forward here, imagine what happens. We've gone to $49 an ounce in silver and over $1,920 an ounce in gold with less than 3% of all globally managed assets touching gold and silver. What happens when four or five or 8% of the public want gold and silver and it doesn't matter whether it's in paper or physical to them they're going to be out there clamoring and buying we know in the physical world how hard it is to get already imagine when that takes hold what the prices will do and what it means to your long-term wealth get some now the number to call one eight seven seven eight silver the website is guildhallwealth.com and when we get back from break we're going to talk a little bit about what's happening at christie's uh, auction facilities right now overseas. There's a very, very influential pink diamond up for grabs uh, at the middle point of November. A little bit of an update on what's happening uh, in the pink diamond market. More about financial crises happening all over the world and a lot more about gold and silver and why it's so important for you and your family to own it. We have a seminar coming up November the 3rd. Less than 10 seats available for that seminar right now. The number to call before we go to break, one eight seven seven eight silver Go to the website, guildhallwealth.com. Get registered for that. Put your two seats aside, three seats aside, and uh, we'll be happy to accommodate you as long as we have room for you. If it's gone and there are no more seats, we'll have to look at another date. You are listening to The Real Money Show with Guildhall Wealth Management on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Welcome back to The Real Money Show once again with Guildhall Wealth Management. I'm Darren Long, your host. I'm also an employee 
of Guild Hall Wealth Management. I'm happy to be there. 14 and, years this December, Jeremy. And a client. Date, and a client also. And with me, as always, Jeremy Wiseman, Vice President of Guild Hall Wealth Management. Folks, this week has been about deja vu, cashless societies, and the opportunity that lies before you when it comes to gold and silver. And I think one of the things that we often take for granted, Jeremy, is the fact that we have a certain feeling of safety when things look positive when the stock market is rising when real estate prices are rising we become very complacent we yes. tend to get away from being more directed on our finances we let things slip a little because hey you know what we can take that extra trip honey we can go to hawaii this year and spend the extra 15 grand with the kids because you know what if all else fails and everything went to you know what in a handbasket We'll just pull it from the equity on the home. We haven't mm. touched it. The home's gone up 58 times in value. We'll just pull it out of the value of the home. We'll pay off some debt that way. It's all good. Don't worry. Or that's how they paid for the vacation. Or that's how they paid for the vacation, right? So, I mean, when it comes to this uh, alarming trend, we're finding that clients come into our office, and it's one of the very first things they say to us is that, I have become too complacent. I need to make sure I have insurance. I need to make sure I have something in my portfolio that takes care of that unknown factor of risk and when it comes to that deja vu believe me folks the writing is already plastered on the walls the drop in the markets that we're going to see this time around is going to be significantly higher if not the largest in history because people have not learned the lessons that they needed to learn from the first go around. They've painted this picture that society is growing again, that the economy is doing so well, but it's such significant change in such a short period of or, time. Or just falling into the manipulation trap. That's right. Right? Like Absolutely. the central banks have manipulated the markets higher and people are just saying, well, the markets are moving higher, so I guess I'll buy in. You know, not looking further beyond that. I mean, we've talked about John Williams on this show and yeah. coming back, coming to us with shadow stats and saying, look, it's great that unemployment's down, but they're not talking about the workers who don't aren't, aren't looking anymore after a year. They don't become part of that statistic. The highest in history. Right? So there's all these sorts of things, or they don't talk about the 40 million plus people on food stamps in the U.S. You wonder how you end up with a populist, uh, popul the rise of populism, right? So it all comes back to the money. You know, I get so irritated with the politics talking and everyone just going, Trump, 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 Trump. Start looking at the money and follow the money and go back to central banks. I mean, right now you see that Trump and, and Jerome Powell are, are butting heads, and that's not the first time a, a president's butt, butted heads with, with a central bank. But that's an independent central bank chartered by the American people to do whatever they want. They're not a government institution, and you wonder why they're doing things independently for, the, for, the, for Wall Street. Because they're there for Wall Street. They're not there for the people. So we have to be more aware of our own finances in that regard and take care of ourselves. And we believe at Guildhall that it's important to have uh, your reserve assets, and that includes gold, silver, and natural fancy colored diamonds. Well, when it comes to that protection and that insurance policy, Jeremy, I think it's important to give our listeners a little bit of a snapshot as to why natural fancy colored diamonds without going into the technical aspects and the beauty of the four C's and what it means in the grand scheme of things, imagine being able to participate in something that although had, has gained value, because we've seen tremendous increases in, in the natural fancy color diamond space and yellows and pinks and blues and especially reds, but although it's gained value, 
the, the main point to be made here is that it's undiscovered. It's not mainstream. It's like buying a piece of art before that artist becomes popular. And now all of a sudden it went from $10,000 to $2 million because all of a sudden the mainstream caught on and they said, whoa, wait a minute, you're telling me that there's no mine in the world that mines colored diamonds as a primary product? Yeah, that's right. There is no mine in the world that brings out of the ground colored diamonds. And Paul, when it comes to this, well, let me introduce Paul again, the president of Guildhall Wealth Management. He's here with us now in this segment. It's important for people to understand that value is to be had still. It's still a limited time, right? Well, if you look that most people get engaged and get married, and when they get engaged, uh, the advertising tells you to spend two, three months of salary on a white diamond. Great marketing. Uh, terrific by degrees. Great marketing. White diamonds have not gone up in value. At all. On the whole. On the whole. It doesn't matter unless you're holding a 20-carat D, internally flawless, that goes into auction and fishes millions. Yeah, unless you're holding the 1% of those diamonds yeah, like that the are diamond, actually worth something. Uh, right? the of course. Richard Burton gave to Elizabeth sure, Taylor. Sure. That type of diamond because it has... Uh, Which 99.9% .9 of the public do not own. Well, or couldn't get involved in. Of course. Anyway, so what I'm trying to get at is now there's white diamonds in engagement rings. Everybody buys an engagement ring for their wife, uh, whether it's a small one or what they can afford at the time. Now they're bringing it out synthetic diamonds, which have no value whatsoever in the resale market. Uh, who wants to buy something that's cooked up? It just doesn't have the value. Now you get into nat natural fancy colored diamonds, which is a diminishing mines. There is no new mines coming on site. The Argyle mine, for example, closing in 2021 now is brought to 2020. It's, it just is not profitable enough to mine. There is no more diamonds to bring out of the ground. They produce 90% of the world's pinks. A champagne flute full of them a year. If you want to envision that in your head, that's about how many pink diamonds come out of the ground. It's well, nothing. At, the, at that same mine, they also produce a lot of uh, diamonds, white diamonds, industrial diamonds. Predominantly. And, diamonds. and, and by and the way. brown diamonds that now, you know, people market as chocolate, champagne, cognac. Nice names. All for good, great food and drinks. Maybe 50 or 60 years from now. No have value. value. That is not a <laughs> colored fancy investment diamond. And actually the, the Argyle mine is the white diamonds that they mine are known to be not that great. Yeah. Overall. Well, industrial. Like there are, there are other mines that, pr that tend to produce better, yeah. higher quality whites. Well, that's mm. why I said industrial diamonds and yeah. their diamonds tend to be more brown. Now the pink diamonds that come out of that mine, uh, it's just, it's diminished. And we have on our website an incredible collection of Argyle pinks. They're not for everybody. They are expensive because they're extremely rare. Yellow diamonds, we only carry basically internally flawless yellow diamonds. I can say without a doubt, I have more internally flawless yellows up on my website than anybody in the world. Which, we're really excited, two flawless. Oh, yeah. Are we going to talk about that? Or yeah, we, we are talking okay. about it right now. We oh. got two flawless diamonds. Yeah, I, I purchased last week two incredible diamonds. One is a 152, intense, incredible color, lemony. Um, it's flawless, which means there is no inclusions inside or outside. Extremely rare. We only see maybe three, four a year. Uh, if we can you know, get one, we're really happy with it. And I also purchased a 107, vivid, internally, uh, sorry, flawless diamond 
incredible these two diamonds. You have to call us if you want to get into an investment that is really going to make you money. It's something that you put away. You, you know, one of the diamonds is actually in a container that you can't even break open to get into. Yeah, it's from a GIA blister pack, and I yeah. can't even take a photo of it. Let me let me play the buyer here for a second, so that the folks listening get a real sense of appreciation. I've come to Guildhall, and me personally, before I owned Colored Diamonds, I was able to easily find out information about gold and silver. Well, with natural fancy colored diamonds, there's only a limited number of places that we can go to see this. There's no open exchange in the world where the prices are traded in that, but like a piece of art, there is a market which places value on specific criteria within those diamonds. So from an investment standpoint, I already know that going to Guildhall means I'm getting the creme de la creme, the best of the best. So let's knock that off my list. I already know I'm going to a firm which buys their own diamonds, has their own inventory, and they're going to only buy the best of the best. Correct. Now I've got between, let's say, thirty and 50000 to spend. I've already bought my gold and silver, and now you're tempting me with a natural fancy colored diamond. As an investor, you've told me I can sleep at night because I don't have to worry about the fluctuations because there have been none in colored diamonds. I have safety because it's not on an open stock market anywhere in the world, which fluctuates on a day-to-day. Right. And I have a limited supply, meaning long-term, there's less and less and less available. What do I do with that thirty-five to let's say fifty or sixty thousand? Where am I putting that money first when it comes to a natural fancy colored diamond, Paul? Well, I mean, again, these two flawless diamonds that we've just brought in are incredible. Uh, they're priced right. We're in that range of forty thousand dollars for a vivid. That's you. So I could take one of those diamonds home. Yeah, put yeah, it away. Put range. it in a safety deposit box. Forget about it. Put it in a panty drawer. Just don't even think about it. It's something that you can pass on to generation to generation. Will only increase in value. We only see, and even from the um, different institutions that we belong to, um, this this type of diamond we only see maybe twenty, thirty of this size and magnitude come to market. Um, it's like the pink diamonds that we sell, the Argyle pinks. You know, when we go to an Argyle tender, every year they put it between 55 to 65 of their finest diamonds that they have mined, cut, and polished for that year. They are incredible diamonds. They put it up as a tender. The tender starts in Perth, Australia, goes to Hong Kong, goes to New York. Sometimes it goes to London, England. But there's 65 diamonds. It's been for 30 years, an average of 60 to 65 diamonds. That means there's 2,000 argyle pink tender stones available to the public. And out of that, there's only three to 400 that are VS quality. The others are incredible color, but they're SI1, SI2, which means it's a lower form of clarity. But when you're buying a colored diamond, you're buying the color, not so much the clarity. Jeremy, you wanted to say something? Yeah, it, we, we want to move away from this idea of jewelry being a throwaway right. cost that's just totally. a luxury item that might not actually be worth what you're, you're essentially paying for and moving over to a jewel, moving okay. over to something that has continued to rise in value. And as such, if you have wealth that you can put away – this is where you want to put it so it, there's n- there, you're not putting it at risk. Hold that thought and continue on with it when we get back from break because I want to touch on more of those questions I would have as a buyer coming into the natural fancy color diamond space. Most people think it's not for them. 
We're telling you why it is. We're telling you why you can be successful. And we're here to make you a ton of money. That's the job that we do at Guildhall. And we want you to be a part of that. Now, there's a coming uh, up on November the 3rd. We have a great seminar. We'll spend a few moments during that seminar touching base on natural fancy colored diamonds. And uh, for the lucky few that are interested, we will have the option of setting up a, an appointment or perhaps even viewing one or two diamonds that we'll have there with us. Uh, that seminar is on our website, guildhallwealth.com. It's November the 3rd, 10 a.m. sharp, in office at Guildhall. Limited number of spots, folks. I think after this week's show, we'll pretty much have all the chairs spoken for. But if you're lucky to get in there, we'll, uh, we'll be one of the ones that you are going to be thankful you did. And we'll be able to give you the information you need to make smart decisions. When we come back, more on Deja Vu, the, ca- the cashless society. We're going to stick with natural fancy colored diamonds and uh, a little bit about the concept of other people's money. Lots more to talk about on the Real Money Show with Guildhall Wealth Management. You're listening on the Global News Radio Network, 640 Toronto. Welcome back once again to The Real Money Show with Guildhall Wealth Management. In this segment, our last and final of this week's show, I am joined by Jeremy Wiseman, Vice President of Guildhall Wealth Management, and Paul Wiseman, the President of Guildhall Wealth Management. And uh, we were saying in the last segment, gentlemen, about the ability for people to see value ahead of time. We were talking about art and how that relates to it. But more specifically, we were saying, if I'm a buyer of a natural fancy colored diamond, we've talked about the importance of understanding the difference between the sentimental purchase I might have made with a white diamond and the lack of expectation there. I didn't buy that white diamond because I thought in 20 years from now, it would be worth 10 times as much and it would fund my kid's college education. Yeah. I bought it because I'm in love and it's a different type of purchase. Most people don't understand that when they come to look at and invest in a natural fancy colored diamond already from the get-go, the word investment is implied in natural fancy colored diamonds because of its difference from a white diamond. So Paul, in the last segment, you were pointing out the difference in that purchase. This is a loose diamond when we buy it. This is a polished, finished, loose diamond. Yes, you can put it in a setting, and we would even recommend that you do because it's a great way to take advantage and enjoy your purchase, your investment long-term. That's why we call it wealth to wear. Wealth to wear, exactly. So when you're buying a natural fancy colored diamond and you uh, specifically were addressing a budget as a buyer, I was saying I have a budget of thirty-five to 50000 Can I have, and you said, pointed out, yes, you can, a beautiful, natural, fancy, uh, yellow, flawless diamond. We happen to have an intense and a vivid this week. The vivid might be at the top end of that budget. However, that being said, the pink diamonds you were discussing, this is like buying something before the rest of the world catches on that there will no longer be a supply available. Well, just to interject, I mean, for for years, the savvy buyers, the wealthy, have been buying natural, fancy colored diamonds. Um, they were buying or receiving huge diamonds, um, you know, 10 carat, 15 carat, 20 carat pinks, which they held on to, you know, 30, 40, 50 years. And today at auction, these diamonds are bringing 20 million to 50 million dollars. That's not for everybody. Not everybody's got that type of money. But we can get you into the market, you know, for as low as $20,000 into a fancy diamond, into an internally flawless, and even with a setting that would be in one of the downtown stores. Uh, I won't name any, but there are most of them on Blue Street or at Yorkdale. You're going to pay forty-five to fifty thousand dollars for a diamond ring that we would sell for sixteen, five, seventeen thousand. Because we don't have retail space that we Correct. have to worry about. I mean, we don't have to pay a hundred dollars a square foot or more and have a guard standing there all day long. 
and just wait for the one customer to come in to hook for an incredible amount of money. So we are a second tier wholesaler. We buy the best quality that we can buy. Every diamond that we buy has to meet our criteria. We are specialists in what we do. Um, before, Darren, you were talking about knowledge of you know, buying natural fancy colored diamonds. Nobody really knows about it. You can go to probably any li library, any large bookstore. There's actually only three major books that have been written on natural fancy colored diamonds. That's how you know, l information is, is got by, if you're inside, you're an insider and you're dealing in the buying and selling of diamonds, you will have access to these books. You won't find them in a library. You won't find them in... Again, another indication of the fact that this is not mainstream, that this has yet to hit the mainstream. But I don't... I don't we've, seen, we've seen it hit the mainstream in the sense of we've seen... Um, the you big know, ones. Starlets and, and actors... Right, you of know, course. Uh, ...getting their hands on one, um, you know, some blue diamonds, some pink diamonds, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And it, mm -hmm. brings, it brings attention. And, of course, you know, the, the big names can, can put them on the stars and walk them down the, the red carpet. But it doesn't have to hit the mainstream. They're already making money. Right. They're already rising in value because again, once you have one, and this is the big difference. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. In North America, the money that was, that was made when North America was booming in the 50s and 60s, they bought white diamonds. And those are the things that are being passed down as assets. Well, in Asia, they're buying color diamonds. And these are diamonds that are much more rare and continue to rise in value. And these are the diamonds that are going to be handed down through generation. So in some ways, you know, we're trying to catch up and help people build their wealth by getting into something so absolutely rare and beautiful that it's going to maintain the wealth of your family for generations to come. Well, well since they've been keeping records, actually, for the last 40 years, they've never dropped in price. Um, there's been years where we've really gone nowhere. The market has kind of dried up. Um, but when you're dealing with high-end, for example, internally flawless yellows, whether they be intense or vivid, whether you're dealing in pinks, we only touch and handle VS quality. We don't handle SI1, SI2, I1s. Um, you know, you see a lot of that in in jewelry, cheap jewelry, or even sometimes in engagement rings, you'll see a G quality white diamond in an SI1, SI2, because it's a price point. And if someone's gonna spend $5,000, they're looking for a one carat G, SI1, SI2, VS1 possibly, they're gonna get serviced. But when we're dealing with high quality, natural fancy color diamonds, every diamond that we sell if you're not putting it into a piece of jewelry, somewhere down the road, whether it's in 10 years, 15 years down the road, someone is going to bring that back and want to turn it into cash for some other investment. We're happy to take that diamond back for the simple reason we know how rare the diamond was to start off with. What an incredible investment this turns out to be. If you would have bought, you know, 30 years ago, a one carat red, if you could have found it, you know, you'd have probably paid thirty-five to $40,000. Try finding one today for between million eight, two million dollars for a red one carat VS quality. They are just not out there because the collectors have snatched them up. Whoever's got a natural fancy color diamond, whether it's a, a red, an orange, 
which some of the colors come to, blues in internally flawless quality, they just push it to the back of the safe. It's money in the bank. And yellows and pinks today is your chance to make money. One eight seven seven eight silver guildhallwealth.com is the website to go to. There you can take an exclusive look in your own time at our collection of diamonds and request the material folks get educated about this because there are only a few opportunities in life where you get the op- the chance to make real money this is one of them and that's why we are doing the real money show when you add this to a portfolio of gold and silver for me this is probably one of the best things in the world that you could do to help your future wealth and if i own that diamond and i was to put it into my portfolio jeremy What I like most is the fact that I am able to sleep at night because this has been a steady gain in the color diamond market. Pinks, as an example, over the last four or five years, up almost 350 to 400%. I mean, there has been an effect of sorts that has taken hold in the very astute small percentage of investors that are owning these diamonds because they know there's not a lot left. So when it comes to owning a diamond, uh, I'm a buyer. Now I've bought a diamond. How long do I wait? How long is enough is enough? You know, it depends on the value of the diamond from from the outset. Um, obviously, if you're if you're on the lower end of what we would call our entry level, it, think of it like the real estate market. If you buy a, a one a studio condo, you're going to need to hold that for a longer period of time to make the make the gains in the values to right. be able to right. move up to the next level. But it, in that sense, you're definitely looking to move up to the next level. Whereas if you're, you know, you're buying a two two garage house, um, you know, you're you're probably in the market for a shorter amount of time. Now, this is a hard asset. It's slow, methodical growth. The more you invest, the more rarity you're gaining, which means the quicker the gains. It's not like buying a stock where it doesn't matter if I put ten thousand or a hundred thousand. If the stock goes up six percent, I make six percent. This can be. You put in, you know, twenty five thousand. You can look to get anywhere from six to ten percent a year over the long term. Whereas if you're putting in three hundred thousand, you might be looking at north of twenty percent over the long term. And in which case, when do you want to sell it? Becomes the question. What are you selling it for? Might be the question. Are you looking for your retirement? Well, you know, give yourself the the leeway to to get into the market and get out of the market. And same thing with a colored diamond. You know, we were talking about RESPs, Darren. If you're looking at a 15 year projection, then you know a, an intense yellow could be the could be the place to go. About twenty five thousand. One eight seven seven eight silver guildhallwealth.com is the website. We were talking this week about deja vu, and the cashless society became a big point for us. Natural fancy color diamonds a great way to add value to your portfolio. We are talking financing, the option of using other people's money. We didn't get much time today to talk about it, but let us show you how you can put down as little as 30% of the metal value you want to invest in and still retain ownership of all the physical metal that you bought. That is a system we call allocated financing. We'll be happy to shed some light on that for you in the next coming weeks. Give us a call, one eight seven seven eight silver guildhallwealthcom Sign up for the seminar coming up November the 3rd. This will be your last crack and chance to get in here to our offices at 10 a.m. Start all the details on the website. We want to thank you for listening to The Real Money Show this week. We're happy to bring it to you. And you have been doing so on the Global News Radio 640 Toronto.